out, out are the lights, out all. And over each quivering form, the curtain of funeral pall comes down with the rush of a storm, while the angels, all pallid and wan, uprising, unveiling, affirm that the play is the tragedy, man, and its hero, the conqueror worm. Oh, no! Oh, shit! (laughs) Is that from The Poe? It is. Ah, The Poe that has so much to do with what we're talking about today. The Poe that Vincent Price reads at the beginning of the American version that has nothing to do with (laughs) Poe. Fantastic. That's right. That's, you are listening to another delightful episode of Loathsome Things, a horror movie podcast. As always, my name is John, and with me is my co-host, Josh, who uh, probably had an interesting week. Josh, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing fantastic, John. I have jet lag. I have issued the normal combination of energy drink and beer. And instead, today I am rocking the combination of energy drink and energy drink. (laughs) Very nice. Yes. (laughs) I'm drinking a a tankard of coffee because I'm hungover. Oh, Um, yeah. I went to the first concert I've seen since 2019, and uh, it was great. I saw All Them Witches from Nashville, Tennessee. Dang, plug for All Them Witches. All Them Witches go to their uh, Etsy store and buy their, uh, I don't know, what what do you make at an Etsy store? I don't know if they have an Etsy store, but they definitely (laughs) sell a lot of merch. They They have some pretty cool big old like wall hanging things that are really cool. They're a great band. Anyways, it was it was great to see live music again. What was I'm, their name again? All them witches. All them witches. That's fantastic. Uh, it, kind of a bluesy, hard psychedelic uh, indie rock. I don't know. It was packed. We went to White Oak. Uh, it's this this club while I was passing through Houston, Texas, and I <laughs> saw this show. Anyways, why are we? What are we doing here today, sir? Today, we're going to be reviewing a movie about people that just can't help but see all them witches wherever they go. Them witches be everywhere. I love that you went to see a band called All Them Witches. (laughs) And today, we're going to be watching Witchfinder General. Why, this Finder General right here. This Finder General done finded the witches. Oh, yes. Here, all of these witches... (laughs) Witches get stitches. Oh, <laughs> oh my God! This is uh, this film is from 1968. It was made by a uh, a very young director who only made three feature films. His name was Michael Reeves. Uh, Michael Reeves ended up dying very at 24 of a drug oh. overdose. Oh shit! I didn't realize that's why his career ended at the end of this movie. He apparently this movie took quite a toll on him, yeah. and uh, it may well have contributed to his demise. Uh, he <laughs> had a very tumultuous relationship with Vincent Price. He originally wanted Donald Pleasance to play the role <laughs> of Matthew Hopkins, the Witchfinder General. I can uh, see that. Yeah, but American International Pictures, the the production company and financiers. Did not uh, did not want my, uh, Donald Pleasance, uh, 
who would have been interesting in the role, but they, they demanded that Vincent Price go in because of the success of the, uh, you know, the, the, the Vincent Price Poe films that mm-hmm. he was doing with uh, Roger Corman. Uh, thus the this ridiculous conqueror worm uh, over <laughs> over narration at the beginning which really has not for a movie that has nothing to do with Poe and is actually based on a true story terrifyingly terrifyingly true uh Matthew Hopkins who was only about 30 I think when this happened is much younger than Vincent Price uh he uh was a real person and he was kind of a self proclaimed uh witchfinder general responsible for over 60% of all the witch deaths in England during these crazy years. Yeah. Uh, It's insane. And his his career lasted uh, three years. Yeah, yeah. He he was generally witch-finding for all of three years, in in which point he, like, managed to out-witch-murder, like, the entirety of England for the 160 years prior to his three-year career. Insane. And, yeah. and he pretty much, and he pretty much stuck to East Anglia, if I remember correctly. I mean, it wasn't like he was even covering the whole country, was he? Yeah, no, he was just going after one of them little shire areas. He basically had a little cottage industry going where he would charge depending on how much he thought he could bilk these towns for, he would charge the whole town to clear them of witches, Mm -hmm. uh, which he would then rape and murder and fake, like get fake confessions out of them with horrible methods that we see used in the film. And some methods, some methods in the film that weren't actually used, like the uh, scene that we'll talk about. (laughs) (laughs) The dunker. Yes. (laughs) The old dunkaroo that, well, the 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 Dunkaroo of Flame, let's say. Yeah, yeah, the old, the old, uh, the original uh, fry basket. <laughs> Did you want fried witches with that? <laughs> Jesus, yeah, this movie is is brutal, and this is part of the famous uh, uh, the grand trinity of early British folk horror film, and it's a doozy and completely different from the rest of the yeah. the other two and pretty much like the one that people didn't use as the format for folk horror moving forward that's true it is kind of kind of a standalone yeah it it stands alone it, it's it's pretty good it's also kind of boring it, it does have, it does drag at times. There's a lot of, as I read on one guy's letterbox review, there's a lot of, there's a lot of scenes of a guy riding on a horse. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of riding away from the camera on a horse, riding toward a camera on a horse. Uh, also a lot of like the reason that I thought I didn't realize that he had died of a drug overdose. Jesus. Um, the reason I thought that this had ended old Michael Reeves's career was uh, it's edited together so shittily. Like the places where scenes end and the way that scenes transition is just kind of amateurish. It really is. I mean, I guess to be fair, though, I haven't actually seen a any of the official cuts. I've only seen the restored version where people have like dog-eared in the cut scenes mm-hmm. uh so 
but I can tell, I mean, you can tell when they put him in because the quality goes from bad to terrible. (laughs) (laughs) So I have a pretty good idea of the, the actual editing on the film. I mean, it's another one of these movies that looks like it was made for television. You know, it's, it's, it's it's not particularly cinematic at all. Yeah. I actually went ahead and I watched two different versions of the movie because after I watched the quote export cut, AKA the titty cut, I went through and watched uh, the like, more considered cinematic cut of it. Mm-hmm. And it's just the same. It's just less blurry and, and the audio links up better, but yeah, it's, it just, it, I don't know. There's some shoddy workmanship going on in, in here, but I will say not on the part of Vincent price. The only thing Vincent price is doing wrong in this movie is obviously not enjoying being in this movie <laughs> or obviously not British. Yeah. Yeah. That too. <laughs> That weird, that weird, like, American guy trying to kind of sound British, but then just giving up. Yeah. My dear. (laughs) Exactly. My dear. Ah, fuck it. Uh, Would you like to come to my gothic mansion? (laughs) He's great. I mean, his his performance is really understated in this, which is kind of what, kind of one of the things that saves this movie. I mean, I like this movie a lot, but I don't think it's for everybody. I mean, for one thing, it's, for a movie made in 1968, it's pretty intense. It is. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the things going into this. Like I'd heard how brutal this movie was and that Vincent Price was in it. And I was like, how are you going to have a movie that's brutal while Vincent Price is doing like smarmy smiles and a bunch of eyebrow business. (laughs) And in this movie, he in fact does zero smarmy smiles and no eyebrow business. He's, he's relatively subtle. Just a lot of, Perhaps we should return to your chamber, whereupon I can test your witch vagina with my penis. Yes, why don't thou get thine titties out? <laughs> Perhaps I can find the mark of the devil upon thine nipples. <laughs> Does it hurt when I poke here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently the... Uh, so so one of the torture methods that they use is this amazing thing they called like the sticking or something, or the the picking, I think they called it which apparently was a real thing where they had these often retractable blade knives or extremely dull knives they would use. And they would, they would find like, you know, marks like uh, warts or moles or something on the person's skin where the skin was tough. Mm-hmm. And then they would like step quote unquote, stab the person, but not really stab them. And then if they didn't bleed, which. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. And if they did bleed, they would die because they got stabbed in the back like 50 times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that where he's like, oh, this one's hard to find. <laughs> he's just... <laughs> I'm not sure about this yeah. one. He's wily. Let's see. If they don't uh, if they don't bleed, if they don't feel pain, that means that it's a witch mark. Yes. And, of course, he he did use... I think he infamously used... Uh, he was one of the first. He used the famous dunk them in the juice yeah. and if they if they float their witch i.e they swim so they don't drown yeah and if they drown they're not a witch everything's kosher yeah. <laughs> it's funny because um the the vi- the the on-screen like visual uh texture and appeal of this movie is like 
point for point Monty Python. Like they, it looks like they used the same cameras and like there are these scenes where <laughs> you've got little dudes walking around and there's a giant castle tower in the background. Yes. And it's just, it like, I never realized how much of Monty Python is probably satirizing <laughs> the cinematography of British movies. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. yeah. And this is like, this is the missing link in my brain between <laughs> the uh, 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 Holy Grail and the rest uh, of British cinema. We will continue to say knee unto you. <laughs> On second thought, let's not go there. Tis a silly place. <laughs> Some of these little teeth and little fangs. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was it was just, oh, and even the costumes. The costumes in this movie are terrible. <laughs> they look like if you if you grew up in the United States and you were you were unfortunate to have to go to enough to have to go to elementary school during Thanksgiving. You always got these ridiculous, completely imagined versions of the pilgrims with their buckle shoes and their <laughs> the goofy like knicker pants and that big big hat and all that they're all wearing that shit in this movie yep yep and it every once in a while you the camera gets close enough to one of the actors where you can see that their costume is just a single layer of like cotton fabric of one color that they've just stitched together shoddily and and you can just uh it's not high production value. <laughs> it's remarkable how far we've come in film in, you know, what, 50 years. I mean, in 1968, this movie was considered intense and daunting. And, you know, 2022 and a couple weeks ago, I saw The Northman in the theater. And, you know, if that movie came out in 1968, it would have been apocalyptic. Like it was oh so, God, yeah. it's so realistic looking and feeling and, you know, but of course we're, used to that so you know people can still be kind of blasé about a movie like that especially since it's a pretty visionary film i think the average audience member would be bored by it um but my god i mean we've come so far <laughs> yeah i mean to be fair if intersect had come out in 1968 it would have been a groundbreaking triumph of cinema that we would still be talking about to this day <laughs> <laughs> Nah. <laughs> the story doesn't make sense, but damn, we don't know how they made it look so good. I really felt the emotional impact of that character dying 12 times. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Nate, Nate would be lauded as a cinematic hero. Oh, my God. Yeah, Nate. Like, there would be so, like, a whole genre. They'd call it the intersect genre, and, like, Nate would become, like, one of those, uh, uh, what is it? The hero with a thousand faces. He'd be like cited as an example. <laughs> Nate would become a trope, like in every horror film of that type, there would be a Nate. <laughs> yeah. Just shitty time traveler coming to kill your little sister. <laughs> Hapless moron that no one likes, but he's yeah. always around. Yeah. Captain Halitosis just getting in your face <laughs> to tell you secrets. And every movie has a scene where young Nate absolutely murderizes somebody with a a big piece of wood uh, still might possibly one of my favorite scenes in all of cinema just a little I, kid out I paused, of nowhere. I paused the first time I saw it I paused it and I was like what the fuck just happened <laughs> like Nate just took a fence post and just like played baseball with that guy's head 
How dare you attack my friend? <laughs> he like Gallagher to that guy's skull. Oh, John, what would you say is well? We'll we'll follow this up. Let's let's think about this while we're going through. What would you say is the Nate pulverizing another child's skull of this movie? Don't answer now. Okay. We'll come back around to answer it at the uh, at the end of El El Bano. <laughs> El Bano. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there is an El Baño in there. There is. There's some Baño business. Check out my Baño. <laughs> um, other than, let's see, other than, you, you know, you've got your Vincent Price in here. Other than that, there is like no one. There's the the main main guy, Richard Marshall, is some actor guy. You don't know him, but he's in every single Michael Reeves movie, which means he is in three Michael Reeves movies. <laughs> He's still around. He's still, he's, I mean, he's in movies this year. He's, yeah. I think he's 179. Yep. 179. Right up there with uh, Udo Kier, I believe. <laughs> yes. And I, I liked in uh, his credits and in several other people in here, their credits include uh, radio plays where like they're doing like yeah. uh, Anna Karenina and shit like that as radio plays. Like, oh, yeah. England. Yeah, <laughs> good old England. Yeah, BBC. <laughs> yeah, that guy had a lot of credits. I mean, a lot of these people had a lot of credits, none of which were particularly interesting. Yes, a, a lot of a lot of people were in this show either before in this movie either before or after their small run appearance on Doctor Who. Yeah, a lot of a lot of Doctor Whoing. Yeah, a lot of British TV actors in here. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, that makes sense. Television is is a pretty serious... I mean, they, there's a lot of schlock in British TV, but yeah. it's it's a it's a good place for dramatic actors to build their career because, the you know, there is a very serious side to some of the British dramas. So it's, it's a good place for them to cut their teeth, you know. Teeth. Oh, teeth. So, John, would you suggest that the average viewer, a.k.a listener to our mm-hmm. podcast um, would watch this movie before we review it? I, to be honest, I don't even know that you would necessarily have to watch this one. Of course, I I would always, just as a default, say, of course, watch the movie. I mean, that's, you know, we, we, we do this because we love watching movies, and we obviously enjoy talking about them as well, but uh, we wouldn't be talking about them if we hadn't seen them first. <laughs> Although that would be kind of interesting. And, uh, but, uh, no, I don't think you need to necessarily. I mean, this is a, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd say yes, go watch it, but you don't, if you don't want to watch it and you just want to listen to the episode, listen to the episode. We're going to have fun talking about it. Spoiler alert the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't want to know what happens, uh, well, don't listen. Podcast. I don't yeah. know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's dive on into this madness. Oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so anyways, it uh the movie the movie pretty much jumps right in with uh a hanging getting re- like they're they're just getting ready to do a hanging. It's the this dude is building a gibbet, ju- you know, just in time for them to haul in this lady who's screaming quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And and which for me, immediately, I'm like, can you please just hang that lady? Because I don't want to listen to that anymore. 
Like I, I hope, I hope all the victims aren't this annoying because otherwise I'm going to side with Matthew Hopkins. Um, well, but they take care of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, there. Yeah, a lot of them are pretty annoying. But anyway, she's screaming her her lungs out. She's losing her mind. They just get the gibbet finished just in time. Meantime, the entire soundtrack is basically this. Just endless. It's like, where is all the wind? There's nothing's moving. There's no wind of any kind. But I guess it's supposed to be creepy. Uh, it's the wind of the spirit, John. Yeah, that's right. So they noose her up. She's standing on a stool. They kick the stool out. She hangs. And we go right into some extremely dramatic credits. Very Oh, man. Very 60s y looking. It's like, you know, a blue background with yellow letters interspersed with these crazy, like semi distorted black and white photos that kind of remind me of the photo montage at the end of Night of the Living Dead, which I guess was kind of a thing. Yeah. They take like stills. Basically, they're like still shots of people in the movie who are in some form of agony. Yeah. <laughs> so, kind of daunting, actually. Yeah. It, it made the opening credits, you know, more engaging you know yeah. uh, one of the things that movies have had trouble with historically is how do we get through all of these opening credits without people wanting to leave <laughs> yeah, yeah that's if you got if you walk out on the credits that's pretty much over yeah <laughs> how was the movie the credits were just terrible they were the worst credits and it took so long <laughs> i think that's why now in the 21st century mostly we don't get opening credits anymore i know it's like it's like it suddenly occurred to someone why am i doing this we don't have to do this <laughs> We're trying to tell a story. Nobody even gives a shit about credits, except uh, the people in them. <laughs> yeah. Assistant grip boy. What? <laughs> That's what the internet is for. They should just put a link at the end. Yes. <laughs> yeah. QR code in the corner. <laughs> I'm sure that every all the crew would be real happy about that. Oh but, yeah. <laughs> so then we get this we get this narration, and this is the British version. I'm talking about Witchfinder General, which is really what the movie was originally called. Uh, it was marketed here as Conqueror Worm, and you can still find it under that title. But you know, it's the Witchfinder Generals or Witchfinder Generals, the name of the movie. So, anyways, we get this narration here. There's none of the the post stuff that I read at the beginning. <laughs> um, as kind of a little bit of a brief history that that you know, since the mid seventeenth uh, century, and uh, Britain is in a civil war. This is during the Oliver Cromwell era, uh, King James. Uh, King James had written this demonology book because apparently he was obsessed with witchery and it was a, a fertile environment for idiots like this Matthew Hopkins guy to kind of step in and just basically take advantage and, you know, murder and rape everyone and take everyone else's money. <laughs> so this is, they're, they're, they're talking a little bit about this. There's like the, the, you know, the, 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 what are they, they call them the roundheads. And then there's the parliamentary forces. I think Cromwell ran the parliament and the roundheads were serving the King, if I remember correctly, because they're the uniformed guys and it was, it doesn't matter, but they just, they explain it a little bit. Yeah. It was, it all went over my head because first of all, I know absolutely nothing about this period of English history. Also, I do not care about this period of English history. Every time anyone's ever discussed it, I'm like, <laughs> one of the things I remember about Cromwell was that he was, well, he was particularly puritanical, but he, uh, he was the idiot who tried to outlaw Christmas and it just backfired miserably. It was kind of like, it was kind of like our prohibition, you know, yeah. 
it, in fact, it was very much like our prohibition where he thought it was immoral because it was basically an excuse for people to not do anything for like three or four days and just get completely shit hammered. All classes of people, nobody worked, the whole country shut down. And Cromwell was like, nope. And, and uh, <laughs> he outlawed it and people did it anyway. They just literally were just like, fuck you, yeah. dude. They did it anyway. So apparently uh, Oliver Cromwell was a dick. Well, uh, people are still fighting that battle of keeping the Christ in Christmas. <laughs> Jesus, God. <laughs> keeping the Christ in the pagan holiday. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So basically this Matthew Hopkins guy, has he's kind of got this semi-sanctioned witch hunting thing going on in Eastern Anglia. And uh, uh, the so we cut to after this little bit, we cut to these roundhead soldier guys, this, this little group of soldiers. They got their red pants and their armor <laughs> <laughs> and they're 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 ambushed in for in this forest by these guys that are all hiding out in the ferns. Yeah, there's, there's fucking ferns everywhere. There, it is. It is fantastic. And I like that the ambush is just a single gunshot. A single gunshot, and, and then the the ambush, I guess, if you want to call it, is on. And uh, Richard Marshall, who becomes kind of the hero of the movie, he, uh, well, the hero, uh, he's ordered by his superiors to stay behind to guard the nags, the horses. <laughs> and uh, so he he hears the, he's he they go on to fight. He hears this big fight going on. Eventually, he follows the, the battle sounds and saves the day from one of the fern raiders who he shoots it just barely like you know his his commanding officer almost got shot and richard saves the day because he's awesome he's just awesome he like he like singes his commander's uh sleeve like it, it <laughs> oh that's it does, right it just like leaves a little smooge on his sleeve and he's like oh you Almost ended my career, but, you know, good job or whatever. Hey, good job, Dickard. Yeah. <laughs> and I like that all of that, like, when he's listening to the battle going on, like, we can't tell. And that's the the tension is that he can't tell, like, are they winning? Are they losing? I'm just standing here and we keep getting these shots over to um, to the dead one, the one that they killed, one shot, one kill style. Yeah. And he's just laying there next to all the horses. And it's just like, oh, this is... This is tense, I guess. And then it's just like, eh, no, it's fine. <laughs> it's really funny because it just, it portrays England as this, at the time, as this kind of chaotic place where nobody really knew who was in charge. It depended on where you went. I mean, you know, mid-17th century was a long time ago, but it wasn't that long ago. It's just kind of crazy how hectic and disorganized things were even then. But uh, so anyway, so he, he, takes off. He rides into this small town. I think it's called Brandonton or something like that. Yeah, something like I, that. I think is an actual town. They didn't shoot it there, but he goes into the town, <clears throat> excuse me, and he he goes to this house and this is where the village vicar or the priest or whatever the fuck he is lives with his niece and uh I think the guy's name's John Uncle John, I don't know what the fuck they call him. John, John Lewis. Yeah, John Lowe's, John Lowe's, something like Lowe's that. Lowe's or something. I called him Uncle Butt Sweat, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I called so, him Vicar Father-in-Law. Yeah, so he meets with Vicar Father-in-Law, and he's talking to her about Sarah, who, uh, you know, Dickard Marshall wants to, wants to marry her. So they're talking marriage, and there's a bunch of just, like, doodly innuendo and, you know, well, there are many hours for her to sleep, so she must sleep on these hours. And yeah. Richard is like, that is okay. Go 
take thee to bedeth while I fucketh thine nieceth. <laughs> so he's then he, he's left alone with Sarah, and you know they they have a little they play like kind of these these little double entendres and all this horse shit, and then all of a sudden he just grabs the candle and he's like, oh, "No, we fucketh," and they go to like the chamber and have their like 60s style montage sex scene where it's like one shot blurs into the next and then fades into the, you know, for about 30 or 40 seconds that equals fucking mm-hmm. <laughs> it's as I called it a lovely fuck montage. <laughs> I don't think they showed any, no, no nudity really. Right. Just some, yeah. you you can see some of her like nipples, uh, upon, upon Thames, you know, um, <laughs> Nips upon Thames. Yeah. Occasionally they will like, they will like twirl around in bed and one will just come loose out of there. One one will fall from the bed. (laughs) Oh, I seem to have lost my nipples. Oh, let me just retract this back in. Take thee to nipples upon Thames. Uh, oh, the British are so cute. <laughs> Ham Hamshire. Mm. Fotting Hamshire. Uh, so, so we get a whole lot of them rolling around in the sack and, and doing fuck. And, uh, and then it switches over. And speaking of doing fuck, enter... Vincent Price as Matthew Hopkins, and he has just an adorable little wig on where <laughs> it's 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 almost shoulder length, but it curls at the bottom like a cute little girl's hair. <laughs> Everyone looks like Emo Phillips in this movie. <laughs> it's fantastic. And he is there with his jolly good right hand man, John Stern. John Stern is his official torturer because you see Matthew Hopkins himself does not do the torturing. He leaves that to Stern and they have this whole little back and forth where, where like Hopkins is accusing Stern of enjoying doing the torturing too much. And Stern is accusing Hopkins of loving the silver that he gets from the local magistrates too much. And it's all very, Hmm. Hmm. And the general idea that we get is that like, they don't super like each other, but they just get along so well. And yeah, like Stern, who obviously enjoys the, the the big kick for him is to be able to harm people, mm-hmm. and and they they both share an interest in in having sex with women. Although obviously, uh, the older I guess in the movie Hopkins uh, has this impression that he's like some sort of fucking lover of women, mm-hmm. whereas Stern fosters no no illusions of that. Yes, they're just holes on legs. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and it, uh, well, no, we'll get there. <laughs> oh, by the way, oh. the, the, the uh, yeah, the guy that plays John Stern, Robert Russell, that's not his voice. Um, you know, later in the movie, when we, when they they have the scene where they probably only put the scene so they could have that cool shot of the giant cliff face in the beach. Yes, <laughs> which I believe is the place where they shot that show with. Uh, David uh, David Tennant and uh, uh, what's her Who. name? Not Doctor Who, but the well, they may have shot that there as well. Oh, but Broadchurch, Broadchurch. I think that's that. That looks like the same place, but I mean, yeah. you know, 
uh, most of the British coast looks like that. But anyways, that fisherman, yeah. he's the voice of John Stern. Oh, you're shitting me. No, isn't that weird? <laughs> that is weird. I love that fisherman, by the way. I gotta say, other than the toned down Vincent Price, the all-star cast member of this movie is any one guy that's in a scene for exactly one scene. I know. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> like the, like the, oh, well, we're going to get to him, but I yeah. love that. Yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> All of these little one-off scene guys. Mwah, amazing. <laughs> that's magnifique. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so... So they get to town. They're like, "Oh yeah, this town has some problems." It's they're they're like the um, what if what if the local priest is secretly a devil worshiper, and it turns out that the place they're going to is good old Dickhard Marshall's hometown, and that priest is his future vicar-in-law, and uh, so they they get to sticking him. They they like talk to him about it. And he's like, "Well, I'm offended by this." Oh, and the whole town's the whole town like shows up at the outskirts whenever Matthew Hopkins and they're like, "Yeah, I saw it. I did." He wears devil robes. He does. He talks them gobbledygooks. He does. And they're like, "Oh, well, this doesn't sound like proof, but we'll get to the bottom of things." So it breaks wind of a sulfuric nature. <laughs> And so this whole town is just like, yeah, fuck him. Fuck him. Yeah, they're rough. Yeah, it's not a good town to be the priest. Like, you could have just hung the whole fucking town if they're selling out the vicar for being a demon. I know, right? It seems like you've got a little bit of a problem here. (laughs) But, uh... I guess they're in charge of making the accusations. The local magistrate is who can level... Jacques and uh, and Jacques he does and so they they accuse the the priest he's like nah and then they're like oh well too bad and they rip the back of his shirt open they start stabbing him in the back over and over again here's where we get the explanation of like what that is and it turns out that they're just looking for that witch mark is it here ow no is it here ow no is it here ow no well he's uh, the devil's really hitting it good on this guy it's it's pretty intense that scene i mean it's it's really uncomfortable as you watch the you know like the he's got like some sort obviously he's using some sort of retractable prop blade so that it you just it shows him just stabbing him in the back over and over the blade goes all the way to the hilt yeah he's just like jab jab it's, it's oh it's so deliberate and painful oh yeah it, it's definitely like getting through to lungs or something <laughs> like it's and um Meanwhile, uh, Matthew Hopkins, who isn't like super into the torture itself, is just looking out the window. He sees a a beautiful lass uh, uh, coming through the the idyllic hillside, talking to a servant who we assume is telling her what happens. And she comes running this way, and he's like, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, at this point, Stern is like, what's he, uh, it, it's not working. What do we do? And he was like, set him to running. <laughs> they just have a dude on each of his arms and force him to run around the table over and over and over again. I don't Which know apparently what that, was a thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what that is, but it, it seems strange. Yeah. Stab him in the back a bunch and then make him run. Well, the idea was that, you know, if you tortured him long enough, he would confess to anything. Yeah. Of course, yeah, he I, didn't. 
he didn't. He he stayed true to his God and Lord all the way to the end. Which is great because ultimately they just they just basically lied and said he confessed and then just killed him anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, his confession was going, Ugh. <laughs> I've been stabbed so many times. <laughs> Uh, at this point, Sarah arrives and she talks to Matthew Hopkins and he like is like, perhaps you could convince me of the vicar's innocence if I came to your room tonight and you could give me your full confession or whatever and she like then gets all like smiley and and flirtatious because she knows what's up and she does what needs to be done to do that doing. And uh, do it, they do. And um, he, she says that he can come to her room at eight o'clock and uh, she will prove his innocence. Yeah. <laughs> and and then they do. He even like comes in to her room and he's like, I'm just trying to get to the truth. And as he's saying, get to the truth, he's like unbuttoning the top of her various blouses because as we know, she keeps the truth inside her blouse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm going to go ahead and put that down as a rape. Yeah, a little bit <laughs> of a rape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, when, when Stern... So Stern finds out that uh, that Hopkins has decided that he's going to let... He's just going to let the priest off the hook and, and have him off the hook from the torturing... He's going to have him jailed until the next day. And, you know, Stern is not happy because he just wants to continue torturing the guy. So he's pissed off about that. Whatever. Who cares? And then Hopkins uh, has he's off on business, quote unquote. Yeah. Uh, he's on a truth finding mission. And uh, in the meantime, Stern decides that it's time to get rapey. So they're in the tavern and uh, he's there with his one of his cohorts. And there's like the topless wenches laying in their laps and they're all pouring ale over them on them and <laughs> just a lot of that business going on stern uh, uh, stern decides it's time to get super rapey so they're like in the tavern pouring ale over half-naked women and just being lecherous and disgusting and uh in the meantime hopkins uh the business trip that he's on is of course going to see sarah and he's he pulls the, he's basically giving her the the i'm cool no, really, like that kind, of, that kind of routine with her, you know, and and as you had mentioned, you know, they they do the do. Uh, he, you know, Hopkins is trying to find the truth. He returns, finds uh, finds out what Stern's been up to, and decides that okay, all right, enough of this. It's time to torture the priest. That whole section there is just really clunky and just is kind of an example of you know a young director who doesn't really know what the fuck he's doing yet. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, the rape scene is very effectively uncomfortable. Yeah. I, he, he, he's, he's definitely a talented guy. He just, you know, his, as far as the flow and the timing and, and I don't know what these people think as far as constraints with, well, we got to make this thing be at least 80 minutes. Cause I think, it's, <laughs> I think it's 80 minutes. Let's, I guess we can only put so many guy on horse running scenes in. So <laughs> let's yeah. just. Let's have Hopkins go back and forth on business that really doesn't make any sense. So anyways, I yeah. guess I guess the implication is that since Stern raped her, that Hopkins was no longer interested and thus it's just time to get back to torturing. Yeah, I guess that's I guess that's true. Um, 
so yeah, so so Hopkins gets back. They they bicker as they often do, and uh, throughout the movie, um, Stern Stern ends up following Hopkins back to the house, back to Sarah, uh, Sarah's house, and uh, he handily placed ladder climbs to the window <laughs> uh, to spy on Hopkins and Sarah. It's like I just walks up and there's just a giant ladder leaning against the house. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Stern returns to the jail. Uh, he's torturing this woman pretty mercilessly. And uh, he, uh, Hopkins comes, he, he and Hopkins start discussing how Hops- Hopkins is going to leave town for a while. Um, again, it's just this Hopkins coming and going and coming and going and Stern is a douche. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Stern ends up bum rushing Shara, uh, Sarah, Shara, Shara. Yeah. yeah. Bum rushes Sarah out in the, out in the field. She's outside. She's like out by the riverside or something. I can't remember. But anyways, he gets all rapey with her in the middle of the day. And there's this creepy part where this character sees them and just kind of walks off. Yeah. Does a little giggle. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Manny old England. And then walks away. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get more priest torture or vicar torture or whatever. They're they're just they're slapping him around basically. He's in this like sweaty like mm-hmm. the j- the jail is like every hammer movie t- like basement cellar or whatever. It's big sweaty like cinder blocks and chains hanging and hay on the ground and all that shit. Every piece of metal and stone is just stagnantly wet. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's so wet. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, so they, this is where they get this bullshit confession out of the priest where he literally doesn't say anything. They just have a townsperson say, did he confess? Yes, he did. You witnessed it. That was a confession. Let's kill it. Yeah. The, the guy's even like, I didn't hear a confession. They're like, oh, you that sound he made? That was the confession. And he was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't hear a confession. Did you say confession? Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> That's about all it takes. Yep. And it's off to the gallows. So... We get to the gallows and they do the, the and this scene is particularly intense and a pretty famous scene. Uh, it's it, it's the old dunk, the old dunkaroo where they they tie them up. It, it's the priest and two women and they tie them up and they 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 go to this little bridge and they dunk them down into the river. And it's the whole thing if they float or you know if they float or if they if they swim or sink or whatever. Well, one of them drowns, so she's cool. She's not a witch. Yeah. She's dead, but she's not a witch. And uh, the other two are alive, but barely, but they're alive. And so they're hanged. And uh, another really cool shot of them, like as the people are riding away and you just see these two hanging from the trees. Pretty cool. Yeah. They're just slightly swinging. (laughs) I liked... um... I liked Vincent Price uh, whenever whenever they pull him up and the one has drowned to death. And he's like, oh, she was innocent. Yeah, he's so heartless. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> no one is concerned about that. He's so blasé about everything. That's what I love about his character. Because it's, yeah. as you mentioned, I mean, it's he's not very Vincent Pricey. Yeah, it seems like anyone could have done this role, but it's just so good that it's him. Yeah. <laughs> Because he's such a, I mean, he has such a visual, obviously, he has such a visual presence. I mean, he, Tim, Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, they all had that that really strong on-screen presence. Yep. And those guys all knew it. All the, the you know, the Hammer guys and the Corman and all those guys knew that. That's why they 
were in eight billion movies. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, but I thought that was I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. No, it, it was a great scene. the 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 hangings in this movie are very effective. Um, I I guess I could see why 1968 people were offended by this. Uh, I know a lot of it had to be edited out for England, and and then you know the rest of the world was like, eh, I don't know, I want to see it. Yeah, I think you know violence has always been used in in films. Obviously, it's an effective w- reflection of things that actually go on, but it's been used in different ways. And I think once you get to 1968, which is kind of you know the whole world, particularly the Western world, is in turmoil in 1968, and mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of marking a, a major transitional time and a lot of uncertainty, kind of like we, you know, like the world now. And uh, these depictions of violence are, although the film seems pretty campy now, ultimately these depictions of violence are pretty realistic. I mean, they don't, you know, it's, it's the, the violence is they're, they're expressing violence as something that is bad and inexcusable and very uncomfortable. And there's, it's just a fact that you have to confront. You can't do anything about the fact that it's terrible and you have to sit there and see it. That's a different way of portraying violence than you've seen in a lot of movies, particularly in that time period. Yeah. I which gives it, it gives it a, yeah, which gives it a, a you know, some heft. <laughs> it is, it is hefty. It's a, uh, it, it's pretty daunting for the time. I would, I would agree, especially, uh, I, I do love the, um, abundant use of the the powdery red blood yeah it's uh it's it's pretty great in here and they they just slathered it on wherever they felt like it it's great it's so funny there's a scene where this guy gets hits the wall bleeding and leaves this big it looks like somebody just took a paintbrush and just (laughs) with red paint just went (laughs) it's fantastic it's at this point in the movie that Dick Hard Marshall comes home. He finds out that everything's fucked, that the the priest and one other lady have been hanged, another lady has been drowned to death, and that his beloved Sarah has been doubly raped. Um, he decides that he's going to, he's he swears an oath to God to do vengeance (laughs) but before he can go get that vengeance it's time to do the right thing by the woman that he loves and they get totally married (laughs) yeah that's right i put dick prays for the strength to fuck up his enemies (laughs) 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 for god and for country um so he 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 goes a hunting he he encounters a a shepherd and that guy tells him, oh, yeah, they're that way. And then he, like, totally fucks that guy's shit up, I guess. I don't know. He, like, the guy's, like, right up against the horse and tells him what direction to go. And then he just rides off and, like, scatters the dude's sheep and almost <laughs> clobbers him with the horse. And the guy, like, looks off after him, spits on the ground. This is the first instance of the best character in this movie is the one guy in one scene. <laughs> It's like they plucked this guy right out of a, a Gold Rush movie, like a Gold Rush Western. Yeah, yeah. He just does that one little dry like onto the ground <laughs> in that guy's general direction. You better watch them sheep there, feller. 
and and Dicky finds his way to a bar, and we see Stern in the background carousing with some ladies, smoking his adorable itty bitty pipe as always. <laughs> and uh, uh, Dick goes up to the bartender and says, "I'm looking for Matthew Hopkins." Uh, Stern uh, sidles over and he's like, "Hey, I know Matthew Hopkins. I does. <laughs> I does the sticking." He just does the finger poking. And uh, uh, so then we get into an entire bar brawl where we see that Dick is a total badass. Yeah. And just (laughs) clobbers the shit out of Stern, which is funny because at this point, it just seems like Stern can't hold his own in a fight. Later, we see that Stern himself is a total badass. If we'd gotten those a little bit reversed, maybe this scene would have seemed more impressive. (laughs) Yeah. uh, But uh, the only way that Stern manages to get away is the bartender out of nowhere does an old school like three stooges clobber clobber dick on the back of the head with whatever happened to be around busting it over his head. Dick Dick uh, goes down. Stern runs away on a horse. Uh, The bartender's even like, you should get out of here while you can. (laughs) (laughs) This bartender that saw this guy clean house waits for Dick to get up, and then is like, you're coming down to the local, you know, magistrate. And and (laughs) Dick is like, nah, and clobbers this dude in the tummy, and that's the last we see of the bartender. Now we get a horse chase between Dick and Stern, um, but uh, but he... A really long one. (laughs) Yeah. I forget exactly how Stern managed to get away, but it wasn't very exciting. But this is when I realized what this movie was. Like, I was expecting this to be a folk horror by way of torture porn. And it's really more of like a uh, Zorro or like Errol Flynn as Robin Hood type of movie, but with witchcraft and more blood. Well, yeah. And the funny thing is, is there's absolutely zero witchcraft of any kind. That's true. Yeah. Nobody in the movie, as far as we know, is even remotely a witch. <laughs> yeah, the the horror elements come from the gore, come from the and and the torture, which yeah, which brings me to the point that this this movie really probably is not a horror film. <laughs> Very, <laughs> it's it's kind of not. But then again, like if if that's the um. If that's the grading criteria, then is Saw a horror film? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, it is. I, for me, it's a horror film just because it it's so firmly set in genre. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, you know, I guess it, it doesn't it, there's no there's nothing that's supernatural, but it does. It is touching on that subject. It's not even necessarily saying that there is no such thing as a witch. It's basically because that's not really what it's about. It's about, like you mentioned, the the horror comes from, you know, man's man's ability to be so unbelievably cruel to each other just for their own personal gain. Yeah, which is horrible. It is. It's horrific. Even. Um, it's, <laughs> whoa. whoa! <laughs> But it it is it's a it's a interesting question as to whether or not this qualifies. I definitely think it does, but it's I think we can see in here that the formula for this movie wasn't long-term successful enough to be emulated in any great way. Except of course there is the uh vengeance um 
uh, uh, trope in in horror, you know, with with movies like um, like Mandy and and stuff like that. So so yeah. it, it's still there. It's just yeah, hills have eyes. Uh, I spit on your grave. All that exactly. Yeah. So it's it it's just an unsupernatural vengeance horror action movie. It's funny that you mentioned that because you know I think about like those like in Korea they have this whole subgenre of revenge movies and um they're no I don't think anybody really categorizes those movies as I mean they're almost like their own little genre of revenge movies. I don't think anybody thinks of them as horror films necessarily. I never have anyway, but I mean essentially they're the same deal. It's just somebody gets, you know, horribly wronged and then the rest of the movie the other person hunts them down and makes their life a living hell and then kills them in the end or something. I mean, it's kind of similar. Yep, absolutely. And I think this is playing into the old, old style because like the, the, the main point of this movie isn't set in the scene, but then at the very end of the movie, we have a literally a dungeon where torture is happening, which <laughs> yeah. is, which is a very, you know, like pit in the pendulum and and Vincent Pricey type of deal going on. Yeah. Um, and it's just got like some Errol Flynn style swashbuckling in, mixed in there for good measure. It really does. I mean, if you're down there and for some reason you might just need a really sharp axe, you've got one right there on the wall. Right there on the wall. If there is a dude with a halberd blocking your path down some stairs, why just do some sword fighting and then kick him downward? <laughs> Where, whereupon he will spiral fall down the stairs. Yeah, whereupon Thames. Oh, nips upon Thames. <laughs> Uh, so at this point, somehow Stern gets away from Dick. Uh, he goes and he tells Hopkins, he's like super, super worried about it too. He's like pissing his boots about it. And Hopkins is like, eh, no worry, man. He calls everyone man, by the way. It's very <laughs> entertaining the way he calls people man. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's so derogatory when he says it. <laughs> yeah. Get up, get, get thy upon it, man. Um, <laughs> And so he's like, look, we, we've got all the power. This guy's a nobody. We will get him totally killed. Don't worry, Stern. Um, and then at this point, they're riding on a horse and they get accosted by uh, by uh, Dick's local military buddies. And the they want their horses. And... Uh, they even like go into it. Stern's like, "Hey, we shouldn't go through there. They're gonna like fuck our shit up." And Hopkins <laughs> is like, "No, it's fine." And then they get in there, and indeed, they're gonna fuck their shit up. But then uh, Stern gets down off the horse, and then Hopkins gets away, and they they beat up Stern. They capture him. Apparently, he's going to be a new conscript or something like that. <laughs> and uh, and that's that. Then bleeds into the next scene. Yeah, but I like when Hopkins gets away and he's chased by the ginger Brian Jones and uh, he turns around and shoots his horse and gets away. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's kind of a badass in that one scene. <laughs> I was like, wait, did he shoot the guy? And then I was like, he looks fine. And then I realized, wait, he shot his horse. What an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I shall shoot shooteth upon thine steed. <laughs> So Stern is, you know, basically just leaves Stern, but 
fortunately, this is where for Stern, we this is where we find out that Stern is like an ultimate badass. Yeah, dude, he goes like crazy kung fu style on these <laughs> English dudes. That fake voiced, pudgy, wig wearing, pipe smoking guy is actually a badass. Yeah, <laughs> which would have made the previous bar brawl fight scene way more impressive if we knew that this guy could clean house like this. <laughs> It would at least make us even more impressed with Dick. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, well, he does, he does take a shot in the arm, but that uh, gunshot, but that didn't seem to slow him down too much. Yeah, no, he even like, as, as like, after he gets away, he manages to have stolen a knife and then he does like the whole, like fucking like pluck the bullet out of his armhole with the (laughs) knife while screaming because that's what a man's got to do. So great because the scene, like the, he shows him digging in his arm, and he's he's like, oh, 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 oh and then the camera kind of turns away to the woods, <laughs> yeah. and then you just hear, ah, <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking great, amazing. Oh, and he, of course he does. We do see see a scene where he jumps out of the ferns and totally shoulder murder stabs one of the red pants guys. <laughs> yeah. That was fucking great. Yeah, yeah, he's just all over these guys, fucking them over in a variety of ways. He takes down, like, an entire squad of, like, inept soldiers. Yeah, we just thought he was a pudgy rapist, but it turns out he's actually a badass. Yeah. (laughs) A pudgy badass rapist. A pudgy badass voiceover rapist. (laughs) So he's now, he's mad at Hopkins because... Hopkins did what anyone would do, get the fuck out of there. Yep. <laughs> He's upset. And then in the meantime, we find out that uh back at back at Roundhead headquarters, Dick has been promoted by uh this really pompous British guy who goes on and on about how much he likes food. I think it's supposed to be Cromwell himself, right? I, I think you're right. I think yeah. that is actually Cromwell, although he looks like uh that that guy that's in is it in Shrek the British guy with the weird bob <laughs> hair? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, oh, how delightful I feel after eating a fine meal. Nothing like victory and flatulence. <laughs> Nothing shall raiseth my mirth like overcooked bread. Oh, it is a good day when the Lord shines victory upon the battlefield and masturbation upon thine prong. <laughs> upon thine prong. <laughs> oh my God. <sighs> so he he gets promoted by Cromwell himself after a fine, fine dinner, apparently. And uh, he's sent off to go find the king. Uh, don't don't get all revengey or anything like that last time where you went off and went rogue. Yeah, he keeps getting in trouble for that. His his uh, his captain that he saved earlier was like, look, I'm not going to get mad about you going to do a revenge, but you can't keep going to do a revenge. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so then even Cromwell's like, go find the king and no revenge. And then he's off for unsanctioned revenge. <laughs> <laughs> even at this point we enter, he has like a buddy. And he's like, all right, we're going to go fight the king. Also, I'm going to get some revenge in his But he's like, mm, but shouldn't you not do the revenge part? <laughs> he's like, hmm, yeah. Uh, <laughs> here's the deal. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Yes. <laughs> dick is kind of a dick. Yeah. 
<laughs> so back with Stern. Stern is nag haggling, mm-hmm. and uh, he uh, gets a lead on Hopkins' location uh, from a from another remarkable one 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 and done scene from this ridiculously overacting old man. Probably, probably the the best of the of the one and done men. I would say, like he he's great. He is fantastic, and you can tell he is having a great time. <laughs> Oh my god, he can't even control himself. He's smiling so big. Yeah, he's he's trying to get he he wants a guinea and a half for a horse and he uh, the guy's like one guinea and he's like a uh, guinea and a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> I can do this all day. <laughs> <laughs> he just then just, just like starts <laughs> sets up a conversation with him and then just keeps introducing well give me a guinea and a quarter then <laughs> what a guinea and three quarter three fourths of a quarter <laughs> that guy that guy is great he oh, needs his own movie <laughs> yeah yeah that guy he he should he's probably like on every other episode of black adder or something like that <laughs> he's the guy everyone waits to see yeah he's there tr- he is He's probably the guy that drives the three-wheel car on Mr. Bean. <laughs> That's fantastic. So then we this is where we get this the lovely cliffside scene where it's this beautiful beat. We get a shot of the ocean and then we the camera pans over and and Dick and his boys are talking to this uh this fisherman, the the guy who does the voice for Stern. And <laughs> <That's> uh, so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. And, and he basically tells them that, that there's gonna be a full scale witch burning going on. And uh so yeah, these guys bail. They get the they're like heading to town. What um, not until like for the reason they're talking to him is he's the one that like let the king escape. He uh, Oh that's right. That's right. Yeah. He like he ferried the king across to France in his little fishing boat, and they're like, "Uh, dude, you know there's like a war on, and this guy came and he's like the king, and you just weren't concerned about it." <laughs> I love his responses. It's like, "Oh, there's a war on." That's right. <laughs> I just live out here. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah, someone probably should have told me. <laughs> I didn't know. I was just skiffing the king across the channel. What the fuck did I know? <laughs> And so this is the point at which Dick has to decide between following the king to France or going to the nearby town where a full-scale witch burning occurs. Yeah, tough choice. He's going to the witch burning. Right on into the witch burn town. (laughs) Fuck the king. (laughs) (laughs) Super British of him. So in the town, we we see Hopkins' goons and they're, they're, they're utilizing this amazing like fancy ladder <laughs> drop down bernie method that that basically they like hoist the quote-unquote witch up way up onto this thing up on a ladder and then they lower it into a bonfire and just dip them into the fire <laughs> it's pretty pretty amazing it's a it's a great little invention i suppose this is the one you were saying didn't really exist yes yes yeah. that, that that british apparently didn't you know like apparently the uh the rest of Europe's torture methods were really, really rough. And they, they included things more like this, but uh, in Britain, it was, they were really known for the donkey donkey and the uh, (laughs) picky picky. Yeah. (laughs) But I love what I love about this scene besides the shot where they dip her into the fire, which is fucking amazing. um, Is the, the townsfolk, it's very much like the lottery where it's all these 
you know, the short story, the lottery where it's all these people that, that are just supposed to be like small town people, but they're super leering and like just gawking. And, you know, it shows the children smiling as they watch. And yeah. it's just this, this public, public, publicly sanctioned murder and all the people are loving. It. It's like their entertainment for the year or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a grand day to watch this friend and, and fellow towns member be, uh, make make toward like killed in a way that makes sure that she gets to feel the fire burn her face before her nervous system overloads and it's just horrible and just in case you you didn't understand the implication of showing happy children you see them cooking potatoes in the cinders of the fire yeah which was amazing yeah (laughs) that was pretty horror movie-ish there yeah yeah they were just having a good time afterwards roasting some potatoes in the embers of her demise (laughs) and then the meantime hopkins gets paid yeah yeah he's he's counting his silver we see also that it was like this particular witch was uh some young woman and we see like the the husband being restrained in the crowd but being forced to like watch her be burned to death <sighs> and uh he comes back into play later in this movie in in like the action sequence for a mere moment mm-hmm. um but uh but also like another horror movie scene is like we see her getting burnt to death the like we see her being lowered lowered down and we see like her face resisting. And then the camera switches to a long shot where you, you know, it's obviously like a, a, a puppet or not puppet, but a, a, you know, just like a mannequin up there or whatever. But we see like the whole body getting engulfed in flames as it's being lowered down. And it's woof. It's rough. Yeah. It's pretty effective. It's not, it's, it's not like beyond the door three. I mean, yeah. Beyond the door three where the, where (laughs) somehow the kid in the shack just magically turns into a mannequin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They do a better job than that much later, like that 20 years later movie did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. At this point, uh, Stern shows up. He, he finds Hopkins is there and he's like, look here, you I want to get my vengeance. And Hopkins is like, hey, but uh, I just got paid and some of this money is yours. I've been keeping your pay from all my other jobs set aside. So here's all of your money. And Stern is like, oh, okay, we're friends again. Good. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. Yeah. So it's, it's just like that. They're, they're fine again. <laughs> all of that vengeance energy that he had stored up just gone. Yeah, as soon as he realized that they could continue to have a mutually beneficial uh, arrangement, then it was that's all that mattered to him anyway. Yeah, which like at first when I saw it, I was like, oh, so this whole the whole that whole like arc of the movie is just pointless. And then I was like, oh no, 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 it's really emphasizing how much of a shitty motherfucker these guys are. Yeah, they have no morals whatsoever. I mean, they they all they care about is their their own ass. Yep. Yeah, not even, no, no pride, no, like, uh, no, uh, like, oh, no. I'm, I'm gonna get you for what you did to me. No, just like, oh, yeah, but money, eh, cool, let's yeah. go. Yeah, because it's not, it's not even that he doesn't like these people, he just doesn't care about anybody at all. Yeah. And, or uh, both and of them. <laughs> then within just moments, he, like, spots Sarah in the crowd, and he's like, hey, Hopkins, look, there's, there's her. And, uh, they realize that if she's there, then Dick must also be nearby, which does not make sense. First of all, why the fuck is she in this town? 
Yeah, she she just went incognito, and they just happened to spot her. I mean, how many fucking towns are in this place? There's yeah. got to be tons of them. Yeah, and like you you would think like she she like the witch burning already happened in her town like like she what she i guess well i guess maybe her town wasn't a great place to be after the villagers had her 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 like caretaker uh hanged for witchcraft maybe it wasn't a great place to hang around i guess i mean i guess but what you know where was she gonna go in this town like a total stranger just lurking the streets during a time where the town's just looking for people to hang so they can, you know. Yeah, like, strange it, women enter the town right before they discover witches, and she's not one of them. Yeah, but fortunately for uh, for Hopkins and, and Stern, she's really bad at hiding. Yeah, yeah, like, I'm gonna hide in this, obviously, the least dingy clothes in the whole village. <laughs> this, this bright blue, like, cape thing. Yeah, the princess of the town incognito. <laughs> They're like, where are we? if only we could find so oh there she is. Oh yep, that's her. <laughs> and on with the movie. <laughs> so so they devise a plan because if she's there, then Dick must be there too. And and like Stern is still like shitting his pants about how scary Dick is. <laughs> and so Hopkins is like, ah, you see, we will uh we'll get the town on our side. We'll just explain to the local magistrate that they are witches, and then whenever they come around, we will do a witch finding upon them and they're like oh okay and so sure enough dick shows up dick and sarah in their room together and uh someone knocks at the door and so dick goes to the door with a sword opens the door wide and there is matthew hopkins with a pistol leveled at his chest Ha! he has been outmaneuvered and Got now that. they are instantly accused of witchcraft brought to a dungeon and tortured to get them to confess to witchcraft Yep, lower your your rapier, you t- twisted piece of garbage, or whatever the hell he says. <laughs> Something akin to that. <laughs> and so his his masterful plan of uh, answering the door with a sword is foiled. Uh, get it? Uh, yes. uh, and it's okay because we introduce another Deus Ex Machina that doesn't really work. The the blue suit guy. Yeah, the blue suit guy, the boyfriend from earlier. Uh, how does he figure into this? I don't remember. He's a royalist sympathizer, but how he really fits in doesn't really make any sense. Like what that he's just a plot device, but a really badly placed one. He tells the boys in red about what's going on. Yeah, like they kill him, but before he dies, you know, he lives just long enough to leave red paint everywhere and then tell the red pants guy what's going on. The guys what's going on saves the day. Yeah, so he tells them about Dick Hard Marshall and Sarah and how they are being tortured for witchcraft. And so it's just it's just Dick's military buddies. They come in, they 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 this is the scene where we see them climbing towards, uh, climbing over a hill towards the tower looming in the background, and it looks like a Monty Python scene. And then <laughs> they are fighting their way down the stairs into the dungeon, while uh, uh, that like that freaks Stern out. Stern is like, "Oh shit, they're coming! What do we fucking do?" <laughs> Matthew Hook is like, "It's okay, dude. Just hang on." And so they they split up, and fights are going on everywhere. Somewhere in here, uh, 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 Matt, uh, Dick, Dick gets 
himself released from the chains or whatever and he does uh, a really awesome fight scene he beats the shit out of stern and gets stern on the ground and then shoves the heel of his boot into stern's eye socket just leaving it a oh. a, a pasty bloody mess and oh, it's so great he he heel stomps his eye socket oh. it's it's fantastic yeah like and that. don't forget they 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 did the stabby stabby on sarah so she's not in good shape yeah yeah they've been stabbing sarah's back she's tied down and screaming during all of this Ah, oh, it is. Oh, they were they were going to be uh, branding the cross into her, like like the brand was inches away from her skin when everything went to shit for them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that would have been great. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh this is gonna look so sick once it heals up. <laughs> it's okay because what what comes next is one of the greatest scenes in movie history. I fucking love it. So 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 Dick finishes crushing. <laughs> Stern's eyeball to death, and then uh, <laughs> fucking Hopkins is there, and Dick just grabs an axe off of the wall and chops <laughs> chops Matthew Hopkins to pieces. Like we see one axe in, and it's bloody, and then two, and then they ran out of fake blood, so we just see him hitting Matthew Hopkins with an axe in the cape over and over and over again, and freaking out. By this time, the military buddies make it all the way to the bottom of the stairs. They see, they see their friend Dick making chop barbecue out of the Witchfinder General. One of them takes out his pistol and makes sure that Matthew Hopkins is all the way dead for good. And Dick looks up, holding the axe, rage filling his entire face with very dramatic acting. And he says, you took him from me. (laughs) And then we just get Sarah screaming over and over and over again. Through about thirty seconds of the credits. Yep, another one where like either screaming or laughter goes through the credits. <laughs> the third movie that we've reviewed that does that. <laughs> the second movie that we've released an episode of that does that. <laughs> but by the way, I like that as as you say, they ran out of the fake blood when he's hacking the living fuck out of Hopkins, <laughs> and it, it even looks like they're using real blood. And when he's ha- when he's swinging that, it's like full over the head, double arm as hard as he can, just burying the axe into this dude over and over. It's amazing. It is. It is great and brutal and vicious. Yeah, it's it's not any of that like stage sword play style stuff. He is just splitting some wood onto uh, onto Vincent Price's ribs. <laughs> it's. I love how it just ends in complete abject madness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She screams us into the credits. There's no hope of anything good happening in this world. No, no. This world is full of shit. And uh, there, there's probably no way it's going to end good for them because they killed the Witchfinder while being subjected to questioning for possibly being witches. Yeah, and like the odds of her surviving being stabbed in the back 800 times are pretty low. Yeah. And uh, the odds of him probably getting like the Bernie dip is probably high. I mean, at this point, like we don't know. It kind of looks like he's going to go after his buddies and and do a chop on them. Uh, Yeah. 
like, he's he's not left in a a good mental place. Let's say. Let's just say sequel. <laughs> Which finder to uh, Which finder specific? Which finder two? Electric Stabaloo. Oh shit! <laughs> Directed by the guy who made the sadness. <laughs> oh my god, the sadness. <laughs> Talking about it, I realized that I enjoyed this movie more than I felt like I did when I was watching it by myself. <laughs> it was, it. you know, it's funny because I, the first time I watched it, it wasn't, you know, it just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I thought there would be like some sort of maybe a hint that there was witchcraft or, you know, that there might be like some double turn where, you know, this guy's obviously doesn't even believe in it. He's just killing people. Or whether he believes in it or not, it doesn't really matter. He's just killing people because he's opportunistic. And it, it would have been cool if there actually was some kind of witch twist or something. But I don't know what exactly I was expecting. But the it was so dark. And, you know, just it, it ultimately was pretty transgressive that the the I didn't really enjoy watching it so much. But as soon as it was over and I was thinking about it, I there was so much that I liked about it. And it, it, it it's kind of gr- it grew on me and, you know, watching it again now, knowing what was going to happen and stuff, I liked it a lot more. Yeah, I, I also think like I mentioned, I have jet lag and I watched it for the first time with jet lag and I watched it a second time with jet lag. And so that probably like purpled it a little bit to me. I could see that. Yeah, no doubt. I was like, what? What's happening? Is this movie bad or am I bad at watching movies? <laughs> right. Um, but uh but no, yeah, it like the things that it does well, it does super well. Just some of the things that it doesn't do well, it does horrifically bad. But um yeah. I actually well, no, it, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just gonna say that's one of the one of I mean, we're so spoiled now because uh, you know, there there's so many great horror movies where you know, in comparison to movies like this, it's really hard to find something wrong with them. But you, I mean, you can, and it, it, you know, no movie's perfect and no viewing experience is perfect. And there's all kinds of things that are going to, you know, but if you're, if you're talking about overall visual quality, clarity, uh, 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 what's the word like flow, uh, editing flow, uh, storytelling. I mean, movies now are just light years ahead of movies like this. Yeah, that's true. Even though it really does have its charm, it it I will say that this movie does not have a lot of charm. It's really just the darkness that carries it through because it's really dark. It is exceptionally dark. I I actually appreciate that there is no element of the supernatural in this, that it is yeah. just fully leaning on the source of horror being human nature and and the the excesses of our capacity to visit horror upon one another, mm-hmm. which I guess is kind of the general theme of torture porn in general. Right. Um, and I don't know, I don't know how much that has been, that was explored before this movie, but it's, it's pretty good, I guess. <laughs> That's pretty yeah, good. I, I, I can't imagine it was much of a thing. I mean, it's, it's interesting because as you had mentioned, this film is part of the, kind of the unholy trinity of of folk horror films but the, the one of the things that's interesting about this film compared to say you know uh uh wicker man or the uh what is it devil's claw is that what it's called uh the blood on satan's claw a blood on satan's claw that's right which which blood on satan's claw when you watch it it, it has more 
in common visually and just kind of stylistically with this movie. Um, but then obviously it's much more supernatural than, well, even than Wicker Man for that matter. Uh, yeah. But of the three, I, it's hard for me to say because Wicker Man is, I mean, Wicker Man is a fucking musical and I still love it. And it, it definitely <laughs> has its issues, uh, but it's light years ahead of uh, as far as cinema and, and it's light years ahead of these two movies. Uh, but at the same time, in the, in the if you watch the documentary uh, Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, which is a really long three hour plus documentary about folk horror and kind of its its impact on cinema globally, then you can really kind of understand the the place that that a movie like Witchfinder General holds in that in that kind of like little weird subgenre because folk horror doesn't necessarily have to you know cover um, issues like, like actual supernatural stuff. I mean, this is the, the darkness that you find in rural England during, you know, the, the 17th century where these superstitions were rampant and people were really, you know, th- these crazy ideas like witchcraft just basically took over Europe. It was like this fad and, you know, God, countless people died because of this stupid concept. I mean, it's, it's really bizarre, but it really does fit in with the folk horror thing. It doesn't have to necessarily be a supernatural in nature. It can be, you know, people are, you know, this is when people were living in a world where the, the world itself was like a supernatural thing for everybody. And so, you know, it was easy to, to fear something like a witch. If enough people were telling you that they were out there, it probably wasn't that hard to believe them. I mean, shit, people do that shit now. So, yeah, I mean, we definitely don't live in the state of Texas where the government has put a $10,000 bounty uh, to reward people for turning in suspected uh, abortionists. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, uh, yeah, we, we, we absolutely do not live in the state of Texas in the United States where the governor, Greg Abbott, is a complete bucket of human fecal matter. Yeah, yeah. And the lieutenant governor, who is like a weird, like Christian dominionist that thinks that he's more of a lieutenant Christ than a lieutenant governor. Yeah, and the one-eyed, the cockeyed attorney general. Oh, who, no. <laughs> who has, as Bill Hicks referred to him, uh, referred not to him, but to Jesse Helms, uh, probably has the husks of dried children hanging in his attic. Definitely some husks in that attic, yes. And we don't know about any of these people because we don't live in the state of Texas. Nope, not Texans, we. No. So that's a nice parallel between 50 years ago (laughs) and today where we're living in a weird Puritan... I mean, let's be real. The United States was formed by fucking Puritans. Oh, yeah. Creepy, creepy Puritans. That violence is great, sex is very, very bad mentality is... Absolutely prevalent in this country, very much so. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, promiscuity, uh, even though it's kind of encouraged for young men and and obviously very much considered a, a, a mark of evil for women, is, is still kind of looked at as something that's dirty and bad in this country. It's ridiculous. It's, it's fucked up. It's super fucked up. And that's part of what makes me, like, appreciate this movie is... 
Like one of the things that's always bothered me, uh, well, not always bothered me. One of the things that has recently started to bother me about the entire uh, folk horror genre is that it's it's uh, an entire horror movie movement that's dedicated to how things will be bad for you the instant you step out of line, out out of outside of the boundaries of Christendom. You know. Yeah, which is which was one of the cool parts about the documentary was that they covered parts of the world where Christendom has nothing to do with these stories. Yes. So you get these these you know myths that that are have prevailed throughout centuries in cultures that I guess ultimately probably haven't changed that all that much. I mean they probably have changed in certain ways. It's it's you know cell phones are are pretty much a global thing even in rural areas now. Uh you know, even in poverty-stricken places like India, everybody has a cell phone. Yeah, they may have nothing else, but they have a cell phone. Yeah, yeah, they can uh, at least FaceTime. Yeah, so the world has changed in that respect. But these myths have very much carried on, and and I think people entertain them even if they don't necessarily believe them because it it's some sort of a tie. It's a link to the to the their history or their you know, cultural history or whatever, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, even in uh, Hong Kong cinema, there was a, a whole um, kind of folk horror movement called uh, Don't Go to Thailand, which is <laughs> probably very racist. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Uh, but it was basically like, oh yeah, if you go to Thailand, you're going to get fucked up by like the local, you know, magic nonsense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's all kinds of that crazy shit. And people were... It was a way to control people, you know, maybe yeah. the, like in in these countries where there was, you know, a monarchy or there was some sort of, uh, you know, military based governing body. You know, they would control people through fear is a lot easier than controlling them by force. Yeah. Um, oh, you can't you know, you can't take your crops across the border because the people that live over there have evil demons that prey on our people, you know. Yeah, and they're like, "Well, fuck that! I'm not going to test that theory." Nope, nope. I'm going to stay here and be a good, good, docile citizen. <laughs> I'm going to stay here with lots of crops, <laughs> yeah, all my crops and guns. And another, I will say this about the about the folk horror thing. I like, I I do like the subgenre, but I also think that it's a little bit of a of a like a, a red herring kind of thing because it's. It's the, it, it, I understand that genre stuff and, you know, a lot of, a lot of times things get named just because it helps people understand them more often than not in entertain the entertainment business, something gets named because it's a way to market it. Um, I think, I think the folk horror thing is, is definitely a combination of both because if you really strip it down, sometimes there's nothing there, Yeah, you know, it's, it's just kind of a, a way of describing films that are, that are different than standard horror fare, but you can, you know, you can include anything in fucking horror, folk horror if you want to. I mean, Candyman is folk horror and, yeah. you know, I mean, it just goes on and on. It's like, yeah, but nobody's setting out necessarily to make, you know, 90% of this shit, nobody probably ever said the phrase folk horror once while they were conjuring up the story and getting funding and making the movie and hiring. And, you know, that was, it's just a scary movie. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, that was one of my big takeaways from watching that like three hour long documentary was that oh, you could really just lump anything into folk horror. 
Yeah, it was a cool way to to draw in things that I certainly knew nothing about, like a lot of movies that I was unfamiliar unfamiliar with. And so, you know, it was a nice way of kind of making a list of cool stuff I wanted to check out. But yes. it, wasn't, it wasn't necessarily under the auspices of it being a, a folk horror per se. I mean, to me, folk horror, to me personally, when I think of folk horror, I think of Wicker Man. I honestly don't think of this movie or... Even even uh, blood on De- on Devil's Claw, like it's. I mean, I guess that kind of fits in. But to me, that's just a supernatural, like goofy demon movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't feel like it. I don't know that it was. I mean, I wasn't there when it came out, and I wasn't aware of how what films were out and what you know what kind of genre films people were into or whatever. So I don't understand maybe the place that that film had in particularly British culture when it came out because I just don't know. Maybe that would have made more sense at the time, you know, that you would have been like, oh, well, this is different. This is a nasty piece of work or whatever. I guess part of the idea with folk horror is that you're dealing with folk religions where it's like not a religion that's not bound by uh, like a, a external governing body. It's just like a small coven of re- religious zealotry. And right. if that is a definition of it, then I could see how Witchfinder General would fit in because of Matthew Hopkins's unique little extremist cult of non-conforming religious nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Those These kinds of discussions are always interesting because you get them, you know, you, you get into these same discussions with like music where, you know, there's, there's certain genres in music, uh, like say the grunge thing where all these bands you know, come from a particular region for the most part. And they, they all get lumped into this thing that none of them associated themselves with. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, the label and the, a lot of the ideas attached to calling them grunge bands is, is kind of, kind of works. I mean, it's, yes, it's marketable and all that kind of stuff, but as far as a descriptor, which is what people need to understand things, it works. You know, it's not as clunky as some of the other descriptors out there. Um, it's not as dead on as maybe, say, hair metal, which is a perfect descriptor for that <laughs> type of music or, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of subgenres out there that are kind of weak where you're like, well, how, OK, you call it this, but everyone that that's under that umbrella hates that term. So do I don't, what's going on? Yeah, like <laughs> post-punk is one of the single worst music descriptors. But I get the the value of things like that whenever you consider that um, like most bands and even most bands album to album aren't adhering strictly to one of these labels. And that really what you're doing is you're tagging bands with a variety of sound styles and influences where like each band is going to be like a mishmash of like three or four or more different things all put together. Yeah. To, to be a folk horror movie, the reason why I think of like, the reason why I like the Wicker Man as a, as something that I think of as folk horror is because for me, it fits into this idea that, you know, there's, here's this ancient belief system. These people live on this little Island and they've practiced this crazy fertility belief system, you know, for centuries. And here comes this, this Christian guy, or he's a represent, he's obviously a representation of 
Christianity or of, such a of, good Christian boy. Yeah, just the regular mainstream world who comes over and finds himself balls deep in something that that he has he doesn't understand. He's terrified of it. You know, he he has the bottom hand, I guess you'd say they have the upper hand the whole time. This guy, I mean, they they manipulate him and play him and um, you know, long like you know this guy's fucked from the first moment that you start watching the movie, but you don't realize how fucked he is until later and how utterly and completely, you know, screwed he is the second he sets foot on on Summer Isle. Um and and that all of these people believe in this thing which doesn't even necessarily have to be a real thing it's just something that they believe and just the fact that they believe that is kind of crazy but then what they are willing to do in order to justify you know having the crops return is it's not that uncommon people have been doing that shit forever yeah yeah and not just willing to do but like are enthusiastic and like anticipating the doing of it like what one of the things that makes that movie so much more daunting on the second watch through is you realize it's not just that he's fucked from the second he steps foot on the aisle it's that everyone sees him and they are excited that he's here look there he is oh boy this is gonna be great yeah and and it's it's it completely flips the idea of who the protagonist and the antagonist is because Obviously, the entire place is is antagonistic towards this guy, but I don't relate to him very well. No. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, dance around fires with naked ladies. Although I wouldn't mind doing that, but I mean, I, <laughs> I don't do that, and I don't worship rabbits as a fertility symbol. Although I think it's, I like that kind of symbolism. I think it's it's fascinating to me because it draws parallels to the natural world, which is something that we've kind of lost touch with, which I think is actually kind of important. Um, so I actually associate and and like myself with those people in a weird way, even though I'm kind of scared by them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it I, Part of that fear is like that, uh, uh, I, I, I guess, unless you're, you know, unless you do identify with the ultra Christian police officer, then, then if, if you don't identify with that, you're identifying with these other people and you're scared of the extreme of that. Yeah. Like I like, and, and one of the things that's smart about that movie, which I don't know if they did it on purpose. I hope they did, but that he's portrayed, he's not, he's obviously portrayed as very Christian and then he's a cop and he's, you know, he represents all those kinds of things, but at the same time, he's not an asshole. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's actually a pretty decent guy and obviously he's just doing his job, but at the same time, he, he is actually concerned for the well being of this girl. That's true. He's trying to save a endangered child, which you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's... And you're like, Oh, these people, they don't even care. You know, they know what happened to her and they don't even care. So you're at first you're like, these people are terrible. But then at the end of the movie, you're like, you, you kind of realize, well, I mean, they spent their whole lives there. What they're doing is completely sensible to them. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. This is, this is what we do. I, I will say like at, at, at that point, like at the big reveal, I'm like, oh no, they're going to burn those chickens too. <laughs> I know. I'm like, what did that chicken say? Oh no. Why? You need those. Your crops are bad. <laughs> Exactly. Just, you know, you need to have like a, a, a hatch or something so that, that right when they cook, you just whip them right out of there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, it's a Boston market, and it'll appease the gods. Ah, that poor chicken boy fear makes the meat taste better, doesn't it? Uh, John, if you had to give this movie, and by this movie, I mean Witchfinder General, (laughs) uh, a a loathsome things rating on a scale of zero to five loathsome things, how would you rate it? And why would you rate it that way? I had a tough time rating this one because I, I, I changed my rating several times. I went back and forth and, and, Usually I try to just kind of go with my gut on a rating uh, because I feel like that's going to be about as honest as I can get. But I, I, I've thought about the fact that, you know, you, you kind of have different criteria. And so I, I, was, I was a little bit arbitrary about it, but I decided to kind of use different criteria. Like, for instance, did I really even think of this as a horror film, which I guess I did ultimately. But, you know... <laughs> I have, I, have, yes, I know, I have, but I have, I definitely have issues with it. I mean, it's very amateurishly made, uh, but it, but it also has a very, you know, it has a strong impact with a lot of the thematic stuff, and some of the visuals are pretty intense, um, you know. But overall, it's not a very pretty movie. It's it's really clunky. Um, it definitely has its problems. So I mean, I went, I went around the block with the rating. So I just said, you know. I'm just going to give it a straight three out of five. Um, I, 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 because I, if I didn't enjoy watching it as much as I did, especially the second time that I've watched and then, you know, I've seen it more now, but, um, but as I had described earlier, you know, my, my response to seeing it the first time, but, but from the second time on, I've, I've enjoyed watching it a lot more. Otherwise I probably would have given it like right at a two and a half, just like right in between because I can't, you know, but I liked it enough that I think I'll go with the three anyways. How about you? Uh, that's funny. I also gave it exactly a three. Um, <laughs> it's I, I, I played with increasing that score uh, uh, as, uh, and I also like, originally had it at like a 2.7 and then as we were talking about it i was like yeah no this one actually goes a tick up this one goes a tick up and i got to a three it's um i would say it 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 almost fully qualifies as a horror movie but in in that old style way like in the old horror movies where like you know, it was a horror movie because it was set in a castle and there was a skeleton <laughs> more so than what we would, you know, uh, uh, post post Night of the Living Dead and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, what we would now consider as a horror movie. It was more like a prop properly a horror movie of the before times. Yeah. Um, but it, it was the the parts that were enjoyable. I enjoyed fully. It was just like you said, all put together, it was kind of a mess. Um, there was a lot of technical film problems that just weren't done well. That's that's why I wanted to go ahead and watch the other version to make sure, like, in the export cut there, even, like, when they were cutting stuff in, you could see that, like, there were, like, blurs around the parts that they were adding in because mm-hmm. the editing was just not there for it. Right. Um uh, so I, I watched the other one to see how it was put together properly, and it's just it the it it was never good, a never properly produced movie from the beginning. It seems so, but and highly enjoyable. I love its unique take on 
on the, or I guess its unique influence on the um, folk horror subgenre. I, I kind of even like the fact that it's like a, uh, a withered branch on that family tree where we more see it now as like, if you were, if you were analyzing vengeance horror, you would go back to this movie. Whereas you would only really talk about it as a folk horror whenever you're talking about like the the deep roots and and those first in- instances. It doesn't really have a, a lineage running through there, but you can see it in things like uh, uh, Mandy and and other mm. like action horror movies like that. Like like you said, um, what is it like Day of the Woman? And uh, oh, it's called I Spit on Your Grave. That's right. Yeah. Um, and stuff like that. So, I mean, yeah. it, it's great. It's worth watching. Uh, just don't, you know, don't don't lean your entire uh, being into the idea that this is going to be a great movie or great to watch all of the time. It's it's really one of those movies where it has a, a great payoff at the towards the end and everything up to that is kind of clunky. A lot of it felt summarized like whenever like the way that the scenes were transitioning you could tell that we were just like hitting mm-hmm. story points without yeah. really much concern for telling a story. Oh yeah, I mean it it's it, you know, there's there's definitely an art to storytelling. If you've ever, you know, been an unfortunate child who's like at a day <laughs> camp and they have a, a storyteller there, uh, you, you know, some people are actually really good at that. And it is it is a it's a it's like an art form when it's done right. Uh, there's a way to tell a story and make it interesting from beginning to end and and keep keep the in this case viewer engaged. And this film doesn't tell a story very well to be to be fair i mean it really doesn't um it's pretty rote but it it is firmly a genre film um partially because of reasons like that i mean it's it's very much a genre film in that it's it's going to explore things like cruelty and violence that a regular film would would be much more expositional about and like you know, you'd have these long scenes where people are agonizing over the meaning of this or that or whatever. In a genre film, they just fucking do it and let you figure it out. Yeah. So in that respect, it's definitely a genre film. If you're going to pick what genre, maybe you could say horror revenge almost, or a period, a horror revenge period piece. <laughs> oh, costume horror. Yeah, it's a little, I mean, it's a little weird uh, if you th- if you really start to strip it apart. But um Ultimately, I enjoyed it. Um, I'm, I'm, it was a lot of fun to talk about. I will say that. Yeah, absolutely. If, uh, fun to pick apart. It was. It was weird. It's. It's a weird choice for our first Vincent Price movie because it's just. Yeah. It's just so outside of the typical Vincent Price delivery. Like, like here we see his skill as an actor, but we're not really getting the Vincent Price charm. We're just right. getting his the visage of him on the screen and we're watching and waiting for him to do the things that he never does in this movie. He very much has a visual presence when he, you know, when he retires or he's about to retire to the bed chamber with Sarah and you know that they're going to have sex. It's part of the reason why it's so uncomfortable is because it really feels weird seeing Vincent Price in that position. There's such a formality to Vincent Price's film presence the idea that he would even take his fucking pants off just seems strange. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> and uh, and then later in the movie, he's in he's in that other town, and the magistrate is like, uh, yeah, there's three of them, and he's like, and tell me about them. He's like, well, there are two young ones and an old one. He was like, oh, bring me the two young ones, uh, bring them here, <laughs> and he starts unbuttoning. He's like, and what about the old one? He's like, oh, they're they're more practical. the The young ones will take more time. You see, and he's just like taking his clothes off and beginning to like dick out lounge on the bed, get ready for these <laughs> two young witches to come to his bed chamber. And it's just like, Ugh. yeah. Lasciviousness is not something that you associate with him and seeing it is very uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> which is, which is cool. I mean, it's, it's a, I know that he actually, uh, apparently even before they really felt finished working on this film, he and the director kind of worked out some sort of begrudging respect for one another. And I think over time, Vincent kind of admitted that this was one of his favorite films that he made. Nice. <laughs> he, he actually was kind of proud of his performance. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he, he did a great job. It was just, it's so outside of what you expect from him that it was, it's shocking. It is shocking. I mean, it, Vincent Price is one of those actors. It's like, you know, I mean, I I don't know. I've never met anybody in my life that is even remotely like Vincent Price. Yeah. And I, probably everyone I know would say the same thing. I mean, he's just, you know, he, that guy was built to be on a, you know, on a movie screen. He just doesn't fit in the real world at all. I can't see him like, I would like to have a smoothie, please. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And you mentioned like like his his contemporaries. You've got Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing and and uh, and uh, all all of the horror movie greats. I've got to say he is like they're they're all of level, but he is just a step above everything else. Like I, I love Christopher Lee. I, I, I love uh, uh, Boris Karloff. All all of the, the, the greats. They're all fantastic. But he is just. I guess it's because he was such a crossover hit too that he, while he was like the king of horror movies, he was also just doing stuff fucking everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, he, he liked he, heavy metal. <laughs> yeah, he liked. Well, yeah, Christopher Lee also famously liked heavy metal. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that was. I guess it was Christopher Lee. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, like he had he had a uh, a Muppet on Sesame Street after him, Vincent twice, Vincent twice. Amazing. And, uh, I mean. This this movie came at the towards the end of his third decade as the king of horror, and he went on for two more decades. He his first horror movie was 1940. His last horror movie was 1990, and this came out in 1968. It's just he he's such a fucking badass, and his screen oh, presence is is just out of the water. It, it's just it it's crazy for who he was and what he was, and then this movie. It's just so different from everything else. Yeah, he's 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 absolutely inexcusably horrible, especially when you realize <laughs> that he, he's he's actually kind of one of the things I did like about his, his performance. I forgot to mention earlier is that he he's clearly a little bit sweet on Sarah and to the point where he almost is like you get the impression he's thinking about being merciful towards her uncle just because he wants to impress her. But then he realizes that's stupid. He's not going to do that. So, but there's just that kind of that moment of almost humanity there, which he clearly is like, ah, they can't. That I'm not going to let that get in the way. Yeah, which is great because that's usually he plays almost cartoonish characters, and and you know, 
in this, there is a little bit more depth to him. He's great, though. Yeah. Uh, also, the fact that uh, at no point does his character ever admit to to the screen, to the other characters, or to himself that he's doing this for money. Like, he never, the character never breaks character from being actually, like, vigilant for God's justice. Yeah, it's true. It's like, if you want to try to understand his portrayal of Matthew Hopkins, you just have to, you can only watch what he does because he doesn't, there is no internalizing with that character at all. It's all, all on the surface, you know, whatever he's thinking about his motivations, all that shit is just in there. You never, you never know. You just have to, you have to gauge him by his actions on the screen, which is great. Yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, John Stern was also a real person. He was actually uh, Matthew Hopkins's fellow, uh, like torture assistant. And uh, the the part where this movie breaks from reality is that he Matthew Hopkins was not killed by a vengeful lover. He uh, died pretty comfortably at home, you know. And by comfortably at home, I mean like seventeenth century comfort comfortably at home which means he had some sort of like wasting disease that probably made him drown in fluids in his lungs but he died at a relatively old age in a bed yeah 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 literally drown in his own fecal matter yeah com- but, comfortably at yeah. home 17th century comforts yeah yeah we should all be so 17th century lucky <laughs> He was not there. There were a lot of uh, uh, um, folklore around the fact that he was drowned by being dunked into a river to see if he would float. That is not true. He just right. drowned yeah. in his own pus. Yeah, it's just a, it's it, yeah, it's an old wives' tale. It's it's yeah. pretty much well known that he uh, gorged himself on his own bodily fluids. <laughs> yeah, he just couldn't <laughs> stop drinking his own cum. <laughs> so that is a six out of ten loathsome things from us it doesn't break the top ten but it's good uh and it's another entry into our little folk horror subset of things i think this is our first vengeance movie i don't know i don't keep track but uh it's it's really good and i'm excited to see what we'll review next oh me too absolutely uh, if you are excited to see what we'll review next, you can influence that decision kind of by reaching out to us on Twitter and Instagram at LoathsomePod, on Facebook at LoathsomePodcast, or you can email us at LoathsomeThings at gmail.com. Give us suggestions. Give us uh, praise. We love praise around here. Uh, tell us what we got wrong. We just are suckers for that punishment, too. And uh, yeah, tell us tell us what's good. Tell us what's good. We didn't do it this time, but uh, next time we're going to introduce a lovely feature, the motherfucking asshole of the episode. <laughs> yeah, John, who would you say is the motherfucking asshole of this episode? It's it, yeah, it's funny because uh, again, I was thinking about this. I mean, the obvious motherfucking asshole would be Matthew Hopkins. Um, but then I thought about John Stern and what a motherfucking asshole he was. And then I went with Matthew Hopkins. <laughs> I mean, I think I think Matthew Hopkins is the motherfucking asshole, a.k.a. the most loathsome, loathsome thing in this movie, because he does have like that care. But like he 
coercively rapes Sarah and then is cool to keep up that status quo. But then as soon as he finds out that Stern has raped her, he's kind of done with her. Yeah. In a world of Stern's, one Matthew Hopkins uh, becomes responsible for the death of hundreds. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Stern could have done it without Hopkins. No, he was too primal, you know, wandering around just occasionally murdering and raping people, which is terrible enough is is a lot less dangerous than a guy like Hopkins, who is the a Hitler type who ends up like organizing, you know, the death of hundreds in this case, which is horrible. Yeah. And really just ultimately uh, leads to you being a motherfucking asshole. Motherfucking asshole. John, I just had a great idea for a horror TV series. It's called Stern and Hopkins, and it's like a police procedural, but it's two guys looking for witches. (laughs) Oh my God, that's so good. (laughs) Oh man. It's a witch. (laughs) Stern and Hopkins? Yep. (laughs) wow uh also john before we leave we asked a question earlier in the podcast that i forgot about it was um uh what's the what's the nate railing a kid in the skull with a beam of this movie (laughs) that's right I'm going to have to, I I mean, of course, I'm going to have to go with Dick axe slaughtering Matthew Hopkins. <laughs> yep. It's a pretty good one. Also him, him boot slamming out Stern's eyeball is a, a contender. Yeah. The curb stomp prior to the axe slaughter was also genius. Yeah. Fantastic. I, I, I would say in a distant third place is the uh, dunk of flame scene, which was, <laughs> which was, woo, that was rough, but, but nothing, nothing really compares to, uh, to, to old Dick Marshall chopping the fuck out of Hopkins. The, the, <laughs> the penultimate moment in the film turned out to be the only moment, moment in the film where I got really excited. <laughs> yep (sighs) all right folks and that was witchfinder general on yet another successful episode of loathsome things a horror movie podcast thanks for listening everyone and i'm sorry you all have to die